Okay, okay, I can do this. <clears throat> from days long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe comes a legend, the legend of Voltron, defender of the universe, a mighty robot loved by good, feared by evil. As Voltron's legend grew, peace settled across the galaxy. On planet Earth, a galaxy alliance was formed. Together with the good planets of the solar system, they maintained peace throughout the universe until a new horrible menace threatened the galaxy. Voltron was even much more. This is the story of the Super Force, a space explorer, specially trained and sent out by an alliance to bring back Voltron, defender of the universe. Whew! I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Pivey. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about Voltron, Defender of the Universe, here on Sean Rose. Or Breathless. Welcome to what is probably the longest intro we've ever had on Sean Um And Breathless is definitely a very accurate uh, assessment. Um, <laughs> But uh, it, I wanted to read that whole thing out because it's definitely one of the most iconic parts of the original Voltron cartoon, but also it is really long. So I was like, I have to get through this quickly. <laughs> so I'm just going to plow through as fast as possible. Or you could have taken the total uh, opposite approach and read it. Take, take as long like as possible. Kirk. <laughs> From days long ago. <laughs> I'm going to cough now. <coughs> um, yeah, I know. Just take like half an hour reading that, and that's half the episode, and we're done. Cool, great. It's past time. <laughs> it would keep people guessing what each episode would be like. Indeed. Indeed. Um, uh, but no, today we're going to talk about the classic Voltron, which has been retroactively titled Voltron Defender of the Universe. And retro, retroactively, uh, Voltron Defender of the Universe, Colden Lion Force. Uh, for reasons I'll get to in a second. Um, but this was actually a show that predated Robotech uh, by about a year. And it was the same model as Robotech. We talked about how um, Robotech actually got three different shows and smushed them together. And uh, to, to get the 65 plus episode order, so they could actually put it in the syndication, Ultron intended to do the same thing. Um, they grabbed three shows to kind of try to link them together. Amusingly, from what I understand from research, th uh, this show is based on Beast, Li Beast King Go Lion, but that was not the original cartoon they had intended when they ordered the cartoons. Uh, they ordered a different lion-based show, and the uh, studio assumed that... The, the American producers didn't realize there were two different lion-based shows in existence. And so they assumed they wanted a newer one. And so they gave them Beast King Go Lion, which was not the one they originally asked for. Uh, and there's a reason we're not going to talk about all three shows because, one, it never went to all three shows. And two, Vehicle Voltron is crap. And this is just objective truth because you can't actually find it online anywhere. <laughs> I looked for it. Just because they look like flying blocks doesn't mean it was crap. And I think there was, what, 16 of them? There were 16 of them, yes. <clears throat> Which makes it a little difficult to go into depth about any character or focus on anything for more than like three seconds per episode. Right. Like, I, I wanted to actually watch an episode to see if it was just my teenager brain misremembering that or if it was genuinely not good. But I can't find it anywhere. No one wants to talk about it anymore. Um, vehicle Force is just... Not easy to find through legal means, shall we say. <laughs> um, so a lot of times when people think about Voltron Defender of the Universe, they're thinking of the five lions. They're thinking of the big lion-based robot with, with lions for hands and feet, um, form blazing sword, all of that. So that's the, the era of Voltron we're going we're gonna to talk about today. So during COVID, my, my wife's work actually comes up with this trivia game that they would play every Friday for 30 minutes, and it would be different mm -hmm. topics every time. And then they roll, rolled over to one that was sort of a more animated, anime-based questioning. And she asked mm -hmm. me to give people like a few stumper questions. Mm -hmm. And one of them was specifically about vehicle Voltron. Oh. That they're off like all the people. And she's like, no one could get this question. They talked about lions. They talked about some other stuff, but no one knew or remembered this vehicle thing that you're talking about. And I had mm -hmm. to find an image online to prove to them that it existed. And I just didn't make it up. No. Yeah. And that's, that's what's really interesting is because 
uh, Voltron was trying to do the same thing Robotech did, and it just didn't it went in a very different direction, right? This is kind of what would have happened if Maycross had been the only real version of Robotech we ever saw. And we kind of touched on that in that our pop culture awareness of Robotech is still largely Maycross, even though we found that uh, um, the, third se- the third season new generation was actually quite fun in its own way. Um, but this is an era where a chunk of it has just faded from popular consciousness, and and, and it's it's genuinely hard to find any references or even toys of that line because that was part of the verse to sell toys. Uh, but the Lion Voltron was just so popular, both in toys and in reruns, uh, that um, they actually asked the studio to animate more episodes exclusively for the American version. So there's animation that was never shown in Beast King Go Lion. It's it's just for the American Voltron cartoon. And once you look at one of those shows to see kind of how they compare. But it's 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 interesting to see two very similar models and end up in very different directions. And, and Voltron's also, I would say, more pop culturally aware than maybe Robotech. Uh, there are tons of people who use in business use the word Voltron as a verb to like creating a team in part of a business unit. I've heard that used several times um, to the point where there's some people who don't even know where the term comes from, although that's changed with the Netflix uh, uh, reboot that came out. So it, it, it's, it's the, the idea of robots forming together into form a larger robot in the American culture has been so dominated by this cartoon. So we definitely have to talk about. I also think though, the sort of invention and constant expansion of the internet has made it easier to access information about it, which likely led to some of the popularity and usage of the terminology and people discovering it again. Though I think I've encountered people that have used transformers more of a baseline than Robotech or Voltron. I think, I think that's fair, but I think it's also because Transformers has never not been in the popular consciousness, right? Um, there was about a three or four year gap in the late 80s, and that's about it. So otherwise, there's been Transformers of some form pretty much every year since 1984. So, so it's much not easier Though not surprising, no one ever talks about GoBots. Right, which... <laughs> Digression, but, but I'm a nerd, so I'm going to do this. Um, <laughs> GoBots is officially Transformers continuity now. <laughs> uh, All right, had, when did that happen? So Hasbro bought GoBots uh, five, six years ago. They just bought the, the IP. And so they own all the licenses. And uh, actually, it's longer than that because uh, if you watch the Armada cartoon of like the early 2000s, some of the minibots are named after GoBots. Leader One, for example, was one of the more prominent minibots in uh, Armada. So I think even earlier than that, they had the, the rights to it. But at some point in time, they wanted to start reissuing the toys. And so they hired uh, IDW, which had been doing all the Transformers comics, to do a GoBots comic. And they did a little five-issue comic. And it is mind-bendingly weird because the GoBots continuity is just a train wreck. But basically it ends with uh, the GoBots uh, destroying their future civilization and then going backwards in time millions of years to form a metal planet that they then dub Cybertron. So officially, GoBots are the ancestors of the Transformers. So what do the Quintessons think about that? Well, <laughs> right, because they, they would deform that. <laughs> but how the Quintessons fit in is that the Quintessons, if I understand correctly, the Quintessons were actually created as automatons to watch over Cybertron when the, at the time of this unmentioned creators had made Cybertron. Uh, so <laughs> they're actually the subordinates of the GoBots. Uh, but I mean... I think it's more the fact that it, it the humor of this really looked down upon branch of Transformers continuity is now canonically like basically they're gods. Uh, I just think some that's just funny. It, it's not really taken seriously, and most 
references ignore that bit, but it's it's still humorous that someone found a way to make it all work. And I will forever now think of the great Scooter. Right? Scooter is amazing. No, Scooter's terrible. But <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, we're not here to talk about Transformers because I've actually done the math. We could do an entire season on Transformers. But today no, we're, I, about- we're changing the entire podcast. It is now only a podcast about GoBots every season. And we're going to break it down episode by episode. And we may even go so far that we break it down in like five minutes per episode to make sure that we can run for like 30 seasons. I'm just saying, I've done the math. We could do an eight episode season of Transformers and only, and that's just the high points. <laughs> that's not counting GoBots. <laughs> so I could put GoBots in the next plan if you need me to. <laughs> uh, but... Um, uh, so Voltron is, um, we talked before about how uh, the distinction between uh, the real robot subgenre, which is kind of what more uh, Robotech was into, which is that the robots are tools. It's usually done primarily in a military setting. And there's some exploration, whether done well or badly, of the consequences that adding these kinds of robots to warfare would have. Voltron is the other sign, which is the so-called super robot genre, where there's generally only one robot or uh, a small number of robots, and they are very powerful, and they ultimately can do cool stuff. And that is the beginning, middle, and end of justification of why they are a robot and what they do. Uh, So Voltron definitely fits into that super robot category of they're cool because they're cool and we say so. And it's... uh, it was interesting going back and watching this because Voltron is much more episodic than Robotech by, by a wide margin, but it is not completely episodic. Like the first four episodes, arguably even five episodes are the actual setup for the, the, the conceits that will then mostly recycle throughout the rest of the show. Uh, so I, I kind of curated a path through those um, because I think enough people know the basic concept of Voltron and between the recaps and context clues, you can really skip some of these episodes, but I will kind of hit the, there's a couple of points I'll go through as we touch on those. Um, but, but first is uh, episode one, uh, space explorers captured and uh, uh this, this is interesting because, um, as per the intro, which, by the way, was done by Peter Cullen, who is the voice of Optimus Prime, as I pointed out last episode. <laughs> um, and his voice is amazing. But he talks about a, a super force of space explorers. And this episode kind of reiterates that this is a group of five space explorers. And while the show over time... Has, has called them Voltron Force, and they get the name Voltron Force later. They're still also often called space explorers, even though they kind of stop exploring as soon as they hit planet Eris. They basically show up at Eris, um, who has been, uh, which has been devastated by Zarkon's army, and uh, it's kind of mentioned through a couple of, of cutscenes that they were sent by the Galactic Alliance to look into it, but it's really in media res you can kind of see why you needed that long one minute, 15 seconds intro <laughs> because it just starts, it just goes and it's like, okay, here, here uh, you're in and they're, they're, they're in space and they're approaching Eris and you get a brief thing that's been destroyed by Zarkon's army. Who's Zarkon? Let me show you Zarkon. Zarkon's this evil person. Um, and then they capture him because there's a ship that's there to kind of mop up uh, at the devastation. Um, and then uh, uh, the Galactic Alliance, which for some reason is called Galaxy Garrison for a moment here, uh, are contacted about it and they're like, we should get a rescue. And they're like, nah, it's too far away. <laughs> it's pretty much the conversation. <laughs> and there's some, there's some hand wringing over, but it's just like, uh, it, you don't want to walk that far. So I guess they're on their own. That's kind of a reoccurring theme. Mm-hmm. Especially if we look back at Robotech where Rick Hunter and the SGF three, eh, Earth be fine. We sent one little reinforcement force. It's it's okay. We're we're out here doing our other thing. 
Right. And I, I've not actually gone back and looked at Beast King Goliath, but it's written in such a way that makes me think that the I'm wondering if the Galaxy Garrison stuff was like taken from a different show and just stitched into here to explain some stuff. Because it's it they're they're so obviously disconnected from the narrative. In a similar way. I wonder of, if Rick Hunter came back because Rick Hunter's not in the show. I wonder if it was actually sort of a, a play on government itself and how the government would send out soldiers equivalently and then provide them no support. And it was kind of a subtle way to sneak that into the anime for kids and other adults to see without actually making it an overt statement. I would love that to be true. Um, the show, as I go through, does not reassure me that that isn't the intent. Um, but I think... It would be neat if that's the case, or it would be neat if that was something that was in the original anime they got lost in the change to Voltron. That that seems more likely to me. Of them going, okay, there's spirit cats and they're just kind of ineffectual. Uh, but this the, the, the scene does have a use because this is where you start to hear that Voltron is kind of almost mythical creation force. The fact that the robot is not really clear at this point even though we've seen it in the intro, so we know it's a robot, but the, the, the script makes it a little unclear. Um, one thing I did like was, uh, that aged surprisingly well, is when the Galaxy Garrison is talking about this, is there's a little note saying, we're talked to Zarkon's ambassadors, and they're denying knowledge of any attack on Eris, even though we're <laughs> literally seeing them attack Eris. And I'm like, huh, that's very relevant to 2022. Weirdly prescient. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, Zarkon is pleased they they captured and, uh, and he says he doesn't need to fear the galaxy Alliance. Um, doesn't really specify why he doesn't need to fear them, but he's, it, I think whenever time, but he's just kind of an egocentric. He just believes he is the best at everything. Um, and this kind of plays out in his relationship with Hagar, who is his first in commands, subordinates, uh, wise woman. It's a little, the relationship's a little vague, but it doesn't really matter. He's ma the main character he talks to. Um, and he's like, she says something about the castle of lions being something he has to worry about. And Zarkon's like, yeah, whatever. I'm not worried about that. Um, so the space explorers are going to, into kind of a gladiatorial combat uh, and uh, with a bunch of other slaves. And they fight a character who's literally called Blue Robeast. <laughs> it's just the blue rubies just have a name uh but what's what's interesting is, is the whole rubies concept um and, and kind of goes into american censorship because uh part of the reasons why transformers worked the way it did is that um american cultural cartoon broadcast standards said you couldn't depict violence against people or animals Robots are free and clear. But all of the monsters you see on the show are pretty clearly organic, but the way they're killed, there's no blood or viscera or anything. So you can't say they're not robots. And so this is the start of a trend you see through Voltron where the writers will just say things are robots. And it's, it feels like it's a dodge around broadcast standards. No, no, it's a robot. It's fine. <laughs> They're going to kill a robot. It's a robot beast. See, it's, 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 it's a robot beast. Robot. Please kind of how in G.I. Joe, everyone always managed to parachute out. Right, exactly. Or and how at hell, one point in time Duke in G.I. Joe, there was the, uh, the, the um, snake in the heart. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were the robot troops at one point. So they could blow those up. Um. And so, uh, Pigeon Hunk arranged an escape. Uh, they're attacked by giant vultures. Okay. And they land on a pile of bones. Um, and again, we have another weird moment of uh, they're, they're just human remains littered here. And at one point in time, Hunk even puts his hands together, bows his head over his hands, and says, Okay, let's get out of here. He's clearly praying. And the dialogue is just runs right over top of it. Because again, I think broadcast standards of, of how, how you can depict religion. Um, it's it, this first episode in particular, there's a lot of 
really clunky dialogue trying to work around what you're obviously seeing on the screen. So this actually brings up a, a thought to me right now, and mm -hmm. which could be like a different conversation for like a totally different podcast, but the concept of the violence is okay, but not the actual impacts and repercussions of the violence, which sort of gives a D uh, D emphasis on actually hurting people while it empowers people to enact violence. Mm -hmm. It's an, an interesting concept to, to kind of start going down. If we start really looking at some of those other larger aspects of it. Yeah. And I, it's been interesting. Um, this is a danger, but I think it's, it's fun to kind of talk about a little bit. Um, a lot of tie in media for these kinds of properties have started to look into that more. Um, like I know, um, uh, not the current iteration, but the last iteration of the Transformers comic. Uh, halfway through the run, which was like 16 years, was a very long run, but halfway through, the war is over. And so there's a lot of time spent of what do you do when your entire civilization has been defined by war? Um, I know some of the recent G.I. Joe comics have been going into uh, uh, what do you do when you're trying to fight against a group that's could be anyone and people close to you could theoretically be a part of the enemy. Uh, so, but these cartoons are definitely not doing that, right? There's very much the violence is cool and we want to show that. So there are efforts being made to kind of mitigate some costs of that, but you're right. I think there's a, there's a kind of a long-term cost of, Oh, well, if it's, just if I can just dehumanize the enemy, then it's okay. And in this case, it literally which goes into which then branches into like an even larger part of the American history and the story of how mm -hmm. the country was founded. Oh yeah. So it's just interesting that even then they would go and they would impose what they're considering to be a moral standard to minimize the impact of violence on children by removing the actual, we'll say, blood and death of the people but not the actual conflict itself and highlighting and showing how awesome that is. Right. Yeah. But compared, I guess that's not the, the genreless podcast discussion topic. Maybe, well, we'll, no, but maybe I mean, we'll do another one called like deep dives. Maybe, maybe it's, the cultural impact might be a fun one to kind of do as a, maybe a one-off. Uh, but if nothing else, I do want to think it, it is interesting contrasting this with Robotech, which is not shy away from that. And it's only one year after this. So it is definitely inconsistent in how television is sending it. It's, it's not some kind of homogenous U.S. television is doing X. There's a lot of different approaches. Uh, anyway, so they escape. They steal a ship. Um, uh, Yurak goes after them. Zarkon says to capture them. Yurak guns them down, which is not the same as capturing them, but whatever. Yurak is pretty clearly an idiot. Um, uh, some weird force causes the ship to land gracefully in front of a mysterious castle that we just heard five minutes ago is probably the castle of lions. Um, and then we get an info dump about how Hangar placed a curse on Voltron to break him apart into five lines. And so this episode is doing a whole lot in 22 and a half minutes. It's, it's, it's a lot of stuff crammed in there. Um, which is funny because then episode two is basically 25 minutes of monologue explaining the previous episode. <laughs> so it, it's like, okay, here's where here's Voltron is and there's five lions and they're all, four of them are kind of uh, uh, aspect is different elements. Although that's a factor. It's not really played out too much throughout the course of the show. Um, and we only know four of the five, the fifth one's, Missing, gone, hard to get to. It's unclear at this point. Uh, but episode three, and then they go and they talk about how hard it is to get these lions, and then literally uh, uh, they get four keys and jump into tubes, and they have the lions. It's it's a lot of time building up a, a concern that turns out to not be actually a concern. So episode three, they have four of the five lions, a robust attacks. So they come out to attack the robust, and so they have colored uniforms now um, with their keys attached to them and they jump into the colored lines. And I want to stop here and say something that's always bugged me since I was a kid. The colors of their uniforms do not match the color of the lines they're in. 
and it always bugs me. Because <laughs> Keith is a red suit who rides a black lion. Um, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, Pidge has green, and I believe does the uh, red lion. I mean, it, it, they don't match up. It's, it's, none of them actually connect to the land they're in, and it's just years of of uh, of color coded toys that told me that the red action figure goes with the red vehicle. That's that's how this works. <laughs> but maybe whatever. it's like a fashion statement though, because like red and black make a great ensemble, and they went for that way with it. Maybe, maybe there, 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 there are definitely um, no clashing colors in that in those combinations. So, so that is fair. They're all primary. Which so, in, fa- in fact, there's probably a costume designer that was there at that one moment, and that was their great input that revolutionized <laughs> the show. It, it definitely has made it distinctive. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, in the sense that it, it, it bugs me, but also. I can see the argument of you're, 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 they don't blend together, right? It's like, oh, obviously the red colored character is going to go to the red line. And so, so it does add some uncertainty, which does play out, which I'll go into a little bit later. Um, but I also forgot to mention from episode one is uh, uh, there are five characters. Um, and and there, there, there's Honk, there's Pidge, who, even though his voice is weird, Pidge is actually surprisingly a badass in this version of the cartoon. I never knew that. Um, there's Keith. Uh, there's, um, uh, then there's Sven. <laughs> and I was like, who the heck is Sven? <laughs> I don't remember Sven at all. I was like, when we first show, watch this, I'm like, who is this fifth guy? I don't remember. Cause, cause it means always the princess is the fifth pilot. I but remember no, the- Sven because of the, of the voice acting. It is so Swedish, Chef. <laughs> I, I am Sven. Oh my gosh! It's, oh man! It's it's. And I remembered, whew. and I know that actor whenever they show up, and they have an affection for that because a couple of the Robies, if when you're watching, have Swedish accents. I use really? Swedish in quotation marks. Oh my god! That's amazing. That's amazing. But before you go on, I, I do want to comment about the extraordinary athlete that pitches in that jump yes. in the in that episode. If we could only reach that forty feet up, I will do a jump and easily made it. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, no, it, it, it's 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 so funny because like pigeon hunk are are pretty clearly coded as the comic relief characters, and we talked about this in a lot of the Robotech episodes right about there's there's always the one character who's coded as comic relief and is also kind of useless although they sometimes slide into the heart of the team if done well and hunk and pitch the way they're written the way they're voiced are clearly meant to fill that role but they're also genuinely cool characters in what they can do which is fascinating everyone is competent in some way there's no characters who are useless Except for maybe the space mice. About the only thing you're possibly thinking of. I was going to say Sven, but that was just me. <laughs> just because Sven dies, spoiler. Sven, just because Sven dies. <laughs> well, is Sven actually, dead? Well, he doesn't die. So, okay, digression. Um, <laughs> Sven, in, in Go Lion, Sven was a character who died pretty early on. Then his brother comes and takes over his role in the Lion Force. But they're drawn exactly the same. So the U.S. cartoon, because they couldn't really depict death, basically had Sven um, go into the hospital, goes off screen for like dozens of episodes, and then his brother comes back. And they just say, oh, that's Sven now. And so Sven just recovered. <laughs> but he told he, me He that. had a Duke Serpentor injury. Yes, exactly. Maybe we'll just start calling it the Duke from now on. The Duke. <laughs> Has some different connotations. I wasn't going to go with John Wayne because that's just a no. trash fire. Um, uh, but anyway, so uh, again, in the third episode, um, York commands a whole legion of troops, and he specifically and repeatedly points out that they are all robots, and specifically evil robots, which, one, is robots all the way down. I, the show is going out of its way to say, look, they're robots. All these people are going to defeat. They're all robots. It's all okay. But also, 
how does a robot become evil? Is there like a special like coding language that I'm not familiar with? You know, is there a, a I think it's the evil subroutine. Evil subroutine. Oh, <laughs> Go to evil. <laughs> uh, um, but anyway, so um, uh, uh, episode three actually ends kind of on a, a down note. Um, uh, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get to the fifth line and they just fail. Uh, so it's, again, I mentioned this earlier, it's kind of rare at this early 80s stage, especially in the super robot genre, to have episodes kind of hit these low notes when they're episodic. We're in this weird stage where it's not. It's very clearly a connected narrative right now. This would have been the first week of airing in the U.S. So the first week is just kind of the the prologue. Um, and Transformers did do this too. Like the first uh, three episodes, I want to say, were all connected as well. So starting a show with a connected narrative isn't actually strange, even if the show then becomes episodic. Uh, but having a, a down note, if you're looking at it together as a group, this is the act two twist. Uh, so it makes sense. But if you're watching this episode to episode, it's odd that like, oh, the heroes are losing and the show's over. What's going on with that? Uh, but episode four, basically we skip that one. They get the black line. Great. They, uh, they form Voltron. Um, actually, no, they don't form Voltron yet. They just have the fifth line because they form Voltron in the fifth episode. Uh, which is Princess Joins Up. And uh, now we have the formula pretty much in place, which is Zarkon wants to overthrow a Voltron force. He complains to Hagar about it. Hagar gets a Robeast and throws Robeast at Voltron. There is a fight. That's the structure that a lot of the plots are going to hang off on going forward. Uh, for this one, we have a bit of a longer intro to the actual Robeast, and so Hagar's I'm going to throw all of these different Robeasts into combat, uh, and then whichever one is the strongest, one that survives, will become my Robeast. Uh, and again, these are totally robots. This, the robot gladiatorial combat, totally fine. It's not at all a problem. Um, Voltron Force escapes from Zarkon's slave dungeons, and they, there's this interesting part where they try to get the uh, other citizens to revolt, and the citizens are like, no, no, we're not doing that. We're, we're we just can't. We're too terrified. Which again is is you were talking before about that. There's glimmers of the cost of war. There are these these moments that are like you could see bits of it in there. And I wonder the more I talk about, it, the more I wonder how much of that was originally Go Lion and how much of that was just this is all we could do with the footage we have, scripting wise. Um. But uh, so they don't do something that that, okay. that I'm still curious about. You've got a Robo Force, and they're obviously they can build Robo Beasts. Then why do they need to enslave people right. to do the work? Who are obviously not as effective as a Robo Beast are. They're not as strong as a Robo Beast are. They have to then equivalently feed them, clothe them, provide them facilities mm -hmm. to then for them to complain and try to escape. Right. Because well, then at the same time, they come and they obliterate hundreds of thousands of people. The only conclusion I can come to is that all of these people are actually programmers. <laughs> that, I mean, but, I'm sorry. Let, let, let me rephrase that. I said they obliterate hundreds of thousands of people. In the first episode, they did make a specific note to say that all the people must have escaped underground yes. to be protected even yeah. though the city is in rubbles. That's almost yes. a direct quote. Yes, I forgot about that part. You're right. Except for those that are enslaved, which still makes no sense to me. Speaking of things that make no sense, one of my favorite scenes in this whole show, uh, when I rewatched it, um, they try and talk to the citizens and it's like, no, we're not going to do it. And so Pidge, at the end of that scene, is like, I hate to be the one to give the princess the bad news. The very next scene, the first line is Pidge running up to the princess going, sorry, princess, no one wants to help. <laughs> I actually rewound re that when I was watching it two times to make sure I didn't fall asleep, that I didn't miss a scene. But no. <laughs> it's just like, well, I hate to be the person to do this. But I'm totally going to do this. <laughs> There's not even a line between them. It's, it's just great. 
And uh, and and there are. It's funny because like the show has humorous moments, and some of them are so trying hard to be humorous, they don't quite work. And some of them I don't think were intended to be humorous and are genuinely hysterical, like Sven's accent. Um, if we can even. But call anyway, it that. Zargon attacks. Um, go to space lions. The space lions go, and the Robies actually just whoops them. They are not strong enough as individual lions to defeat the Robies. Uh, well, so there they, was a special spell about, that made the Robeast invincible, remember? Oh, right. I forgot about the, the, the spell. Okay, so this is another thing. Um, uh, this is contemporary to uh, He-Man and Masters of the Universe. And that was another show that had a very odd blending of sci-fi and fantasy. Um, and this show let's politely say they're inconsistent with how they approach what is science fiction and what is magic. <laughs> um, but cause like Hagar, for example, uh, cursed the lions to be separate. Like you mentioned. Um, and she often like shrinks and grows real beasts. And uh, all of her is absolutely coded to be magical. And yet there are robots and consistently portrayed as robots. And even aside from the, the localization stuff we've talked about, um, you know, they fly around in spaceships. And so it's like, again, raise questions of how much of these problems could be solved by magic. What are the limitations of magic in this world? Um, uh, does, does Hagar only have two spells, which are curse and, and enlarge? I mean, is that the only two spells she knows and she's never learned any others? Um, it, it, it's obvious that some of her magic is plot relevant. She has a spell whenever the plot demands it. Uh, but sometimes plot problems are solved with magic and sometimes they're solved with science fiction. And it is interesting when they make those choices. I think plot magic, much like plot armor, is the strongest there ever is. <laughs> it's like Doctor Strange in magic. He has whatever spells necessary <laughs> to make the plot, except for the one he needs to solve the plot. Pretty much. Until it's no longer, uh, until it's dramatically appropriate. Right. But I mean, so like there's a example, um, at the end of this episode, actually, um, uh, the, 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 the castle of lions is being attacked uh, by York ship. Um, and it's kind of implied that the road beast is a distraction to pull Voltron force away so that they can actually destroy the castle of lions, which is one of the rare moments of an actual plan making sense. Hagar was like, you should worry about this castle. Um, Zarkon's like, nah. So Hagar just goes directly to Yurik and says, destroy this castle. My king's an idiot. Take care of this problem. But I'm going to put this big sideshow here so that he thinks his plan's going ahead. But so during this, um, uh, uh, and there's also people openly screaming and talking, but there's no audio. So it's like they kind of just remove all the screaming, which is weird. Uh, but the princess prays to her dead father, the king. Uh, and he shows up and he's clearly a ghost. Uh, or at least that's, that's the impression going across. Could be a hologram, but it's very much coded like, I sat down and I prayed and my father appeared to me in a vision. And his solution to the problem is that there is a second castle underneath the first one, <clears throat> which is also made of metal and has laser guns. So... I'm sorry. Uh, I, mean, it, I, I know this is like a super dramatic moment, but I'm going to say this reminds me of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where the first <laughs> castle sank and they built another on top of it. Then that castle sank and we built another castle on top of that one. And then that one sank. Uh, All right. Had to get it out. Had, I mean, and also like the fact that um, uh, the lions are also in that second castle, or at least one of the lions in the second castle, the black lion is. And so it's like, is that a load-bearing lion? I mean, is that necessary <laughs> to keep the castle up? Um, uh, but anyway, so the second castle uh, comes up, uh, and we go to this kind of obviously medieval-looking castle to him, but it's much more futuristic, um, and it has laser guns on it. Friends of Laura mans the guns, um, and uh, Fultron wins. So um, basically... 
again, that's the structure, but also uh, Laura, we, we established really early on, she is not going to just be a passive participant to this conflict. She's going to do what she uh, wants to try to get things going. Uh, and also the establishment of, again, magic solves problems in a way that also has a science fiction output. Like the, the, the lions are magic, but they're also robots and very clearly robots. Uh, so then we, um, we get to uh, chapter, episode eight, The Stolen Lion. And at this point, we're moving out of the heavy continuity. Uh, basically, in six and seven, uh, Sven is injured. I think it's in episode seven, Sven's injured. Uh, so Princess Alora has actually taken over as pilot. Uh, she has her own pink set of armor. Uh, and like I mentioned, the original show, actually the character was killed and then his brother came along to replace him. But now Sven's just off screen in the hospital. Um, so she is piloting Blue Line. Uh, and it, this is one of the things where I'm going to walk back my, my initial frustration about not color-coded things because I'd much rather have, if she's going to have pink armor, I'd much rather she pilot a non-pink vehicle because that is too much gender color-coding. Her piloting the blue line, which is generally considered the a boy's color, is actually kind of a neat concept. Um, but uh, downside is that she's still... The, the other space explorers immediately are experts in piloting their lines for some reason. Uh, she's not. She's supposed to learn. You could squint and say because they have previous space battle experience. But uh, certainly they're much the... Uh, she's not doing well and, and she's fighting Keith in the red line. Keith. Yeah. Keith in the red line. That's um, frequently though, an approach that they take when marginalized people are taking up mantles of any kind. If even just going back to comics, uh, you see mm -hmm. that when miles first took up being Spider-Man, miles was incredibly incompetent or when Sam became cap in the, in the captain America run of the comics, Sam couldn't do it, and so instead they added a bunch of people around Sam, constantly making Sam sort of like a lesser character. Compared to mm. when Peter got his powers, Peter was almost instantly an expert. Or when any other, we're going to say primarily white male character, we're putting an analog, I guess, for this, sure. is always super competent in their powers and uber successful. Compared to other people that are frequently having to work to acquire their powers or constantly train to become equal. And that's sort of a a narrative that they keep trying to place on marginalized characters. In this case, it's a princess flying the lion, which you would assume that if her dad had made the lions or knew the lions, she would have knowledge of them. Right. To start with. Right. Um, and luckily she does kind of redeem herself a little bit in this, um, in the sense that, uh, so she loses control, a strange beam, Eases her fall uh, from a ship they don't recognize, and the ship lands, and it turns out it's someone named Prince Bokar. Uh, now, um, I'm going to spoil the episode a little bit. Prince Bokar is a snake person. We don't know that right away. But I immediately knew that from years of watching G.I. Joe because Cobra will constantly anagram their name, and Bokar is an anagram of Cobra. <laughs> because, like, uh, Cobra has, like, um, Arbco shipping as one of their fronts. Um, and shit like that. So like, I, I have years of all the different permutations of the word Cobra. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's going to be a snake guy. So <laughs> the show does not tell you that, but I, years of watching these cartoons, I know how this works. Um, but anyway, he flirts with uh, the princess, you know, I'm royalty, you're royalty, we should get together. More or less says exactly that. Um, Lance is like, this guy is bad news. Uh, and just punches him, just hauls off and decks him. Um, again, Modern cultural conversations around a man protecting a woman's honor through violence. That's, again, interestingly uh, uh, contemporaries concern. Uh, but um, the rest of the Voltron force kind of apologize. Uh, and uh, Nanny's like, I have made space casserole. Um, so we should all have space casserole. <laughs> and she actually calls it space casserole. I'm not even joking about this stuff. This show uses space as an adjective way too much. And I love it. Um, but Lance is kind of sulking about it. Uh, and, and the whole time, even the princess is like not buying into this, not to the level of, of Lance, but certainly um, she's also not just like, she, she's like a little taken by his charm, but not like immediately falling for it. Uh, 
so snakes attack in the middle of the night because of course they do. Uh, Bo Carcourt says, no idea. Totally. It has no idea what's going on with the carpet. It's completely, you know, it's completely innocent. Um, and, but then he starts right into the misogyny and it's like princess doesn't really fit the pilot of blue lion. So maybe, uh, uh, the Bokar should do it instead. Um, and she's like, okay, well I, I didn't do a good job. So maybe that's, uh, a, a, you know, a thing that we could talk about. Uh, but then, um, there's a bulge in his arm and it turns out to be another Cobra. So his nefarious plan of using Cobras to attack people, he didn't think to put his backup Cobra away when he's trying to pretend like he doesn't know anything about the Cobras. And then the backup Cobra decides to go for walkies and ruins the whole plan. This guy well, is terrible. Let's, let's, let's give Lance his due for this. Cause Lance is the one that notices and draws down on him. And everyone else is like, Lance, don't shoot him. Oh, yes. And Lance yeah. shoots the arm to expose the backup Cobra. Which, I mean, again, you know, amazing shot. But still, I mean, it was the... It They're is, space explorers. The, the dialogue is framed as in Lance notices this small thing, but it's this giant bulge on this guy's arm. It's really obvious. Everyone else failed their perception check. Oh, my God. Everyone must have rolled a one. Um... But anyway, it's revealed that Bokar works for Zarkon because, of course, he does. And his plan is to try to steal the Blue Lion. Um, uh, uh, the princess talks to her dead father again. Uh, and he realizes he basically he, he straight up gets the lion, but then he, he can't move it. He can't engage with it. And there's some line about how the, the controls are specific to each person. Uh it's a little vague because obviously Sven had this and now the princess has it, but I think we could say off screen, there was some kind of uh, uh, reinitializing of the system to account for the princess. Uh, so he basically captures her to force her to pilot the lion. So if that's true though, then none of them should have been able to pilot the lions whenever they acquired them. Yes. That is absolutely true, um, because when they went to go acquire the lions in the episode we skipped, it's very much they just show up and the lion is cool with it. This so is- I'm, I'm now actually of the opinion that her father is not dead. He was, in fact, an advanced thinker and uploaded his entire consciousness into an AI system that goes throughout the space castle and into the lions. So whenever they pray, it's sort of an activation code that wakes up the AI to engage and interact. Honestly, I love that retcon. That ex- actually does explain a lot. Like, if he genuinely is, if we go with this conceit of all magic is actually science, if that's the core structure of the show, um, then yeah, he's just a hologram. Uh, these are just activation codes. Uh, he's actually controlling the lions. Um, he, they, they, it's only because he oversaw the conversation with the space explorer said, okay, no, you're worthy. So I'll let you have access to them. And then goes, Oh no, this guy's trouble. I'm going to lock him out. Yep. Uh, uh, and, and Voltron has kind of its own consciousness. The, the, the show has very lightly touched on that. Um, you know, implied that Voltron has some kind of, of heart or soul. So that would actually all line up. So I dig that much, much like the TARDIS is technically a sentient, being for the doctor oh yeah totally tardis says lifespan it could die it has its own opinions i love i love shows episodes where the tardis can do its own thing yeah uh but anyway Ultron wins uh, shocked yeah big shock um and then we get we hit a long stretch of the more episodic ones uh, i picked two of that stretch i'm gonna kind of glance over them uh because they're they're they each have their own interesting points. Uh, th- episode 35, uh, Doom Boycotts the Space Olympics, is kind of peak bonkers, Voltron, uh, because Planet Eris is hosting, is hosting the Space Olympics. This is a, a great episode for asking questions about how this universe actually works because it makes no sense, uh, because they host the Space Olympics. This planet has been under attack by a rival nation. And they go, we should invite them to our Olympics to participate. Why would you do that? I mean, I understand the, the, the concept of using the word Olympics is that whole, um, this is supposed to be a, a, a global event, but it's literally just there's two nations. <laughs> One of them has attacked us. Why would you invite them to compete? Uh, Diplomacy. 
the, you're, you're it's, building it is, bridges. It's it's, it's 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 extremely vaguely defined diplomacy, uh, <laughs> which is funny because like they, Zarkon just de- de- rejects it. Nah, we're not doing it. <laughs> so they actually get invited. And they go, no, you want to do your stupid crap. Um. So, but this episode actually touches on something that you mentioned earlier um, mm-hmm. about the heart, the characters that are hearts, because you actually get to see. Hunks yes. is sort of the heart of the team, how he yes. interacts with the kids when they're in the space tractor mm-hmm. doing space plowing and he's joking <laughs> with them. And you can tell there there's like a built in sort of banter that shows that he obviously has spent a lot of time joking around with the kids and is considered to be not their peer, but like in their friend group. Yeah. And that and, was a nice touch. Um, uh, when they take in, when uh, Hagar and Lothar, uh, Lothar get introduced, by the way, um, Sadly, Lothar is underused in this arc. Uh, but um, basically, uh, they, they, they take control of the space tractor or space uh, plow to try to create a proto-robeast. Um, and again, Pidge is like really effective. He just jumps up on top of this thing, rips, you know, rips, but like, you know, gets inside. I mean, he's very competent. Uh, but the kids get kidnapped by the obsessed tractor thing. Um, this is like, 10 or 15 minutes in and finally Laura's like, Hey, maybe we should get the lions. <laughs> so, um, but a uh, again, um, kind of does the, uh, flirting threading thing. Um, uh, so, um, basically the plan is that she gets the blue lion to, cause it has control over water. Again, it's, Implied that these things have elemental control, but it's only vaguely introduced. Um, and then she wants to flood the area to actually short out the machine. And it doesn't work. And they give some uh, kind of pseudo babble reason for uh, techno babble reason why it doesn't work. But it's pretty clearly coded as magic. It's just, it, it does, it's not because Hagar did a thing and stopped it. Um, uh, but then, like, yeah, the rest of Ultron Force get involved. But during all of this, Hunk is the one that's like, we can't do this because of the kids. I want to do this. I, I want to, I'm going to break off and go after the kids. Hunk is very clearly, the rest of the team is focused on what is Lotor's latest scheme. And Hunk is like, these three innocents are involved and I want to make sure they're safe. And again, he's super effective at what he does. Um, so anyway, machine becomes a robust. Lions form Voltron to kick its ass. They have soccer and the episode. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and then episode fifty three, dinner and a show. Uh, this is the start of the original material. So the first fifty two episodes came in some form from the original animation, and a lot of times near the end were just the same episodes reconfigured into new shapes to try to make episodes out of them. Uh, so at this point in time, we actually have brand new animation from the same studio. And it's it's actually hard to tell. I was expecting a much bigger shift, but it's actually Except pretty. For, oh, I forgot his name, but not sort of like the second in command to the princess. He looks noticeably younger. Oh yeah, um, uh, the, like that the, was a definitely steward, sort yeah. of jarring change. That's true. Um, uh, and the lions are a little more detailed, I think, because near the end they were getting kind of. Just line art, and that's it. Um, so there's a little more detail on the lines I noticed. Uh, but like, if 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 him had pointed out to me this was a change, I probably would not have noticed. I probably assumed, oh, it's just the animators having an off day or whatever. Um, so uh, Sven's back, um, <laughs> uh, and he's courting a noble, but they give him crap because he's only a pilot. Which is weird to me because they're supposed to be like the legendary heroes that have come back to pilot this godlike machine to save them. And they're like, yeah, but you're only a pilot. I mean, nobles are jerks. So, I mean, I, there's some class politics there, but it's not really dug into well, at any level. Well, come on. Sven didn't really pilot for that long before he was just laid up in the hospital. <laughs> and now he's here. If you were a very good pilot or have very long, that I would have bought. But it's like, no, they make it like, you're a and pilot, but that's all you are. Primarily being taunted by like a 12-year-old. So. Which he loses to. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Sven, but no. Um, so, Kazakh's terrible shows up, tried to enslave Sven's village. Um, 
Sven, uh, they're coming in with anti-grav sleds, so Sven does a sensible thing and pick up a sword and ride a horse to battle because that makes sense. But again, that's that sword and sorcery meets sci-fi thing, right? It, it, it's really hitting its peak apex, this late stage Iron Force. It, it, we're just going to slap these images together because we want that fantasy vibe. Um. We get into a little bit about the uh, the conflict between Lo- uh, Zark- Zarkon, Lotor, and Hagar. Um, that's the only reason I picked this episode is because it's a good summation of their dynamic. Uh, because basically, um, Zarkon is arrogant but a little conservative in his plans. Lotor is uh, self-absorbed and takes wild risks because he's obsessed with Laura. And Hagar is just desperate trying to keep his knuckleheads to not screw up her plans. Uh, but Zarkon specifically says, your obsession with Laura is going to, is dangerous. And Lotor is like, no, it's not. And he immediately goes to threaten and flirt with Laura. <laughs> so it's <just> like, <laughs> God damn it, Lotor. Um, uh, but so Laura tries to stop Constance with the Blue Lion. She gets captured. So there's an unfortunate trend of the princess. Kind of like we saw in Robotech of the women who are coded to be competent at their job. And then the, Diet or the plot continually undermines that. We saw it a bit with Lisa. We saw it a fair bit in the um, this, uh, the Invid Invasion arc. Um, and this is another example of the princess gets captured a lot, even though she is a lion violet. Um, and so she invites her to dinner, threatens to marry him. She refuses. Um, so he uh, captures the other robot lions and only let them go if she agrees. Uh, she prays to her father, which again, a common trope, who shows up as a giant ghost and then fights Lotor's robot guards, they're totally robots. And what is even happening anymore? Um, it's just like... It's a hard light hologram. It's a hard light hologram that's as big as Voltron. Why doesn't this guy always do the job? <laughs> But, I mean, weirdly, that actually reinforces your headcanon because it's the, okay, he just disposed his control of Voltron briefly because his daughter was in danger. Um, but then he disappears when Voltron reforms. So maybe that's a short-term thing you can do. It uses a lot of energy. I don't know. Look at that. We should recall the show for the season retconning. She's <laughs> making it work. Um, but anyway, Blue Lion escapes, other lions escape, Hagar summons a robust, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. That's the show. Um, it's, I'm, I'm making a lot of fun of this show, but unlike season two of uh, Robotech, I genuinely enjoyed watching this because I knew going in what I was going <laughs> to see, right? I knew what this is going to be. It's going to be, I knew what the formula was. Uh, uh, I was surprised at how much I remembered of the formula. There were interesting bits to kind of try to change up the formula, but you, you see trends after 50 episodes. It's going to kind of feel a little samey. That's just the nature of these kinds of shows. And one thing I did not catch when I was a kid is that the show at a certain point in time really kind of stops taking itself too seriously. And I dig that. The show's like, no, we're just a fantasy show that has giant robots and we're just cool with that. And I, I respect that, honestly. What were your thoughts? So I had several issues watching this show and it was as painful to watch for me as I hate to keep beating up on it, but the second season, that second season of Robotech part of it was the voice acting part of it was the repetition in some of the plotting, but mostly Mm -hmm. the voice acting like that was just almost impossible to get over. And I will say I'm glad we only did six episodes. Oh, and the ineffectiveness of the lions by themselves, like that was hard to sort of overcome. Like we've got this it's great true. super high tech thing that is totally useless in 98% of all of our encounters. And only when we form blazing sword, are we mm-hmm. viable, which then makes me think, well, if they sent two robo beast after you, then would the legendary Voltron be the legendary destroyed Voltron. That's a pile of rubble. Right. Or the other question of why don't you immediately form Voltron all the time? Yeah. Why do you faff around so, with the robots? 
that that could just be me and like as an, an as an old timer now applying my higher brain to a show that was aimed at primarily like 10 to 15 year olds at the time to sell and buy toys and so i have to no, like I try mean, to extract that part of my consciousness no totally i mean when i watched a show as a kid i genuinely thought it was a really cool show it was not transformers uh, that was that was definitely my love but it was also a giant robot show that could happily fit into my repertoire Watching it now, I, I came in expecting it to be kind of bad, but I did find it enjoyable in the sense of watching a bad movie kind of enjoyment. Um, I did see through this glimmers of what made it so interesting. I mean, uh, again, early 80s dynamics, but I mean, it did try to show uh, a cast that allegedly rotates. Like they, they had some kind of danger in the beginning, but then it just stops being a thing, which is pretty common. The show is like, oh, anyone can die, but then no one ever dies immediately after that. Um, the blending of science and magic was done not in a good way, but in a, again, Key Man's Master Universe way of like, this is just a thing and just accept it. Um, it doesn't, it, 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 it seems like it's trying to do this kind of big sweeping fantasy arc and then having robots being a part of that. Uh, and I like the idea of it, but you're, I completely I agree that once you've seen episode 15 episodes of the first 15 episodes, you've pretty much seen the show at that point. You pretty much get what's going to happen. Nothing's significantly going to change after that point. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, this is the kind of show that I would put on the background. <laughs> like if I'm doing something else and I know I'm not missing anything important. I, I look up, I see a cool robot scene and go back to what I'm doing. One of the nicest things I can say, though, is for the time that it came out, it was nice that the princess actually became one of the primary members, mm -hmm. and they added the smallest sliver of diversity into the Voltron Force, which mm -hmm. is something I always look for, is diversity and inclusion in any sort of media, regardless of the time it was put out. And that was an obstacle for, for Voltron for me. Like, as, yeah. a, as a black man watching this show that had... I think someone had a tan, maybe one person. They might have yeah. gone out to like the, the space spa one day. <laughs> yeah, Hunk has slightly darker skin. And so that was difficult coupled on top of everything else. No, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, it is definitely, there are definitely strong five white guys save the day vibes to this show. Um, but, you know, again, near the end, it's there's a princess and also ghosts and other kinds of robots. So, I mean, it, 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 it does shake things up, but it, it's interesting because I think part of the reason why this is latched onto the pop culture is because if you've seen one episode, you've seen pretty much everything the show has to offer. So you don't need to know anything more. It's not like Robotech where it's like, Oh, I remember this bit of it. And it's like, Oh, there's so much more you haven't seen. This is like, okay, I've seen an episode of Voltron. Okay. You, you've seen Voltron. <laughs> we don't really need to belabor at the point. Um, and it's still so interesting to know that these shows came out roughly a year apart. Like that. Yeah. And they're so different. Incredible to try to comprehend. Right. Um, and again, I, I beat up on vehicle Voltron, but my understanding is that basically it's the same formula. It's just as opposed to dividing plot amongst five characters, dividing amongst 15. So it, it suffers in both respects. Uh, but if anyway, you had so to that, rank these in order of preference for you. Rank which out of all the shows we've watched so far, <sighs> what would it be? Well, the only so what we're really debating is Wait, it's which one's worse, the Masters or Voltron? That's really what we're asking here. <laughs> um, and just for pure nostalgia, Voltron slightly edges out. I, I had no nostalgia for the Masters, and so it was a slog for me to get through. Um, this one, at least, I was like, oh, I remember this bit. I know the, the things that everyone says in this order. I know this three-hour monologue that Peter Cullen gives at the beginning of the episode. You know, <laughs> I know these things. Um, but in in terms of a show I would put on to watch and engage with, um, it's still a Macross at the top. How about you? Uh, I think for me, it's pretty pretty obvious. But Masters edges out Voltron. Is it again for nostalgia reasons? Mostly for 
casting reasons and slightly better voice acting. Mm -hmm. Can I use the word slightly? <laughs> voice acting is not good. It, it, I want to say that killed better. I, I'm not going to lie. Spin killed it. As soon as we started. So bad. And I heard Spin. I was like, ooh. <laughs> Pidge is also not great. <laughs> but but Sven Pidge is, is a great character. Like there's yes. a. But Sven is irritating and also not really present. Uh, but anyway, so that is Voltron Defender of the Universe. Uh, what do we have coming up next week? Next week, we go with Voltron Legendary Defender. We're going to do the... It's going to start with uh, Season 1, Episode 1, The Rise of Voltron. And Season 1, Episode 11, The Black Paladin. Then we jump over to Season 2, Episode 7, Space Mall. Oh, I love Space Mall. Then <laughs> then we go to season three, episode one, changing of the guard. Then season three, episode seven, the legend begins. And we wrap it up with season seven, episode 13, lion's pride part two. So the thing to know about the new Voltron series that we're going to discuss is it's eight seasons. Yeah. So I cherry pick some episodes. I think they may be more best of, and a mm -hmm. little bit of a central, but to try to cover the sweeping narrative of it might be a little bit harder because I think this is going to be a more complex version of Voltron than the one that we just went through. It is definitely, it is, it is serialized in a way that the previous Voltron, no way. It, it's, it's, it's hard to be episodic, um, but there are definitely, I've seen almost all of this and there's definitely some really good episodes. Again, Space Mall is a personal favorite of mine, so... And I have not seen any of them, so it's going to be brand oh. spanky new to me. Oh, you're going to love Space Mall, I think. <laughs> and I get, I'm going to start it pretty much after we get off the podcast today. <laughs> Fair enough. Then I won't say anything more. Um, I'll let you discover that for yourself. But uh, uh, if people wanted to talk to you about Sven's amazing accent, where would they find you online? For the moment, you can find me on Twitter at darker underscore Hugh, or you can join the Discord or... For those of you that really want to, you can come to my old website where my blog that I may be brushing off to blog on occasions. Um, what about you? Uh, uh, until Elon Musk runs into the ground, you can find me on Twitter at pugsteady.com or at pugsteady, P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. My website is pugsteady.com. Um, but yeah, you can also uh, find me uh, on the Discord, um, occasionally uh, commenting on things or posting pictures of my lunch. Uh, and... With that, uh, thank you all for listening and fun blazing forward. <laughs>